Hey guys, this is Rick Godwin, pastor of Summit Church here in San Antonio. Thanks for joining us today. You know, we're excited to have you on our podcast. Our goal is to inspire you and to challenge you and help everyone realize their full potential in Christ. Now enjoy the message. If you're a parent here this morning, or you hope to be one day, no doubt your heart is to raise children who are healthy, confident, vibrant, full of life, who love God, and have good, sound character. Anybody got any problem with that? I think we all want that. Whether we had it or not, we want our kids to have it. And yet, for a whole lot of reasons, the responsibility of raising kids has never been more challenging than it is today. In response to the busyness and complexity of our own lives, parents can find themselves gravitating toward different kinds of parenting styles that are less than ideal. Well, some, for example, tend toward hyper-control, where they want to put their kids in an unrealistic bubble, protecting them from life and reality. Others turn control of the family over to the children, letting their kids run wild. I've seen families where children are never allowed to watch TV ever, and then they go over to a friend's house and watch it like a heroin addict. I've seen other families where everybody in the family has his or her own TV or iPad or iPhone by the time they are six. No limits, no supervision, free control, whatever you want. Now, we desperately, all of us, you know, need biblical balance wisdom so that every parent that's part of this community here at Summit can put a stake in the ground and say, this is the kind of human being I want to raise, and this is how I intend to raise that human being as God gives me grace and mercy and help. Now, speaking about parroting is a humbling thing. No, I am not an expert in parroting. In fact, I'm probably a better grandparent than I was a parent. You kind of learn by then what's important, what's not. But truth is that in every aspect as parents, we too are under construction. We aren't perfect parents. We do fail. And we don't raise perfect children. Yet, I'm encouraged to share this morning on parenting because the values I'm speaking about aren't rooted in my authority as a parent, but what I believe the Bible has to say about all of this to all of us. So I want to consider this morning four values that I want to instill in my children and my grandchildren, and I hope you do too. The first one is gratitude. Gratitude. You little snot, say thank you. <laughs> I grew up with that in a military family. In other words, I want my children to grow up with the capacity for appreciation and gratitude and generosity. When somebody does something nice for you or does something and doesn't charge you, say thank you. God bless you for that. And then in your prayer time, pray God somehow will multiply that back in their life for their kindness and generosity. But you're not born thankful. We're born selfish. Me, mine, no. You have to teach it, and you do it by repetition every day. I can still hear it in my head. 
What'd you say, boy? Uh, thank you. That's what I thought you said. I didn't have a name till I was 16. It was, hey, boy. Anybody but me raised in a military family? Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Yes, sir. No, sir. Please. May I? Thank you. You tell me what's damaging to your, your nature in doing that. That will not damage your, your kid. That will help them escalate their growth and promotion in life and earn respect. It is a good, godly thing to do. Here's what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. Be thankful, whatever the circumstances may be, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Gratitude. Part of the problem we face in much of our culture and economy today in America is built on making people feel entitled to what they want but don't have. A young girl once asked, if God wants us to be happy all the time, why doesn't he just give us everything we want? But think about that. If you want to develop a child with the capacity for gratitude, Really, is it a good parenting strategy to make sure they always get everything they want? That is not a good idea. So in the short term, getting what they want will produce a burst of gratification. So it always seems like a good thing to do. But in the long run of their life, if I always gratify every desire, it inevitably leads to selfishness and a sense of entitlement. You owe me. And that will erode the very capacity for gratitude I want so much to build in their lives. So I make our grandchildren say what I made our children say. What do you say? Thank you. See, you knew it. I'm just making you say it. Say it. Say it until it becomes an automatic response, like breathing. You don't have to pray about it. You don't have to think about it. Please, thank you, may I, excuse me. Oh, I'm sorry, that's my fault. No, you gotta practice that. You gotta, when it says to train, how, look at all the men and women in here from military. When you go out and train, it's repetitious. Everything you do, you do it by repetition, over. When they train your dog who behave better than some of the kids, they train them over and over and over and over until it's automatic, right? This is not difficult, just appealing to you. It can't be a one-time thing, or I've tried that with our dog, and it doesn't work. A psychologist by the name of Don Baker writes that that sense of entitlement in American culture has gotten so strong, it's led to the proliferation of lawsuits. Because when people don't get something they want to have, they want to sue somebody because they didn't get it. A psychology professor in California sued for sexual harassment because somebody hung mistletoe at a Christmas party. Sued for sexual harassment. You've lost your mind. A psychic was awarded $986,000 when a doctor's CT scan impaired her psychic abilities. Now, my question is, shouldn't she have known not to go to the doctor if she's a psychic? See, we live in a day when lawsuits like this are epidemic, and some of it is due to an unhealthy, unrealistic sense of you owe me. 
The government owes me. Mom and dad owe me. My boss owes me. Life owes me. Life owes you nothing. It was here before you were. And if you grow up with that mentality, you're going to be a drain and a drama on life. Everybody owes me. No, they don't owe you. You and you alone are responsible for you. Character qualities like gratitude, appreciation, and generosity will never be developed in a child if the parent thinks it's his job to make sure all of my kids' desires get gratified. That is not your job or responsibility from God. But what happens is that because busy parents often feel kind of guilty about being busy, they try to compensate that by giving more money or more stuff to the kids. Now, that's a deadly combination called guilt and gifts. Guilt for not doing enough, gifts to try and make up for it. So Baker says, as a result, we are raising a generation wrestling with what he calls enriched deprivation. Kids are given way too much stuff they don't need and not good for them, and they're not getting nearly enough of what they desperately do need. Now, beyond compensating for our busyness, we also cave in to our kids' desire for stuff because of how it makes us feel. In other words, the biggest barrier to saying no was that I knew if I said yes, I'd be the hero. So I love to give to my kids and my grandkids because when I do, I get a burst of gratitude and joy because it's more blessed to give than to receive. So who doesn't like that? Who doesn't want to be the hero? So saying no to our kid means I have to say no to myself too. Am I willing to do it? No is a boundary word. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. There, Jesus gave those two words, and not once did he ever say maybe, yes or no. Two boundary words that will protect your life. Are you willing, are we willing to put long-range character development in our children ahead of our own short-term gratification? Because what I prize most and desire most for my children, like you, far more than any other particular thing, is the development of really good character, a really good person, and a really grateful heart and a capacity to go through life with a sense of wonder and appreciation and not fall victim to the sense of entitlement that plagues our day. I want them to have the capacity to go through life as grateful people because to go through life with a sense of you owe me is never God's best. And it'll make it so much more difficult for the children to embrace Paul's word that we just read, be thankful whatever the circumstances may be, for it's the will of God in Christ Jesus. Thank you. Gratitude. Gratitude. Get up in the morning and say, I do this every day, taking Lily out. Lord, God, thank you for another day to wake up and breathe and live on planet Earth. Because a whole lot of people didn't wake up today. Thank you. I'm alive. Thank you, I have clothes to wear. Might not be the latest style, but I got clothes. I got food to eat. I got a roof over my head. I've got transportation. Uh, all the parts of my body are working. My, my hands do what my brain tells them to do. I thank you for life. Thank you for some friends. Thank you that I have some employment. Thank you. You tell me what's unhealthy about that. God loves that. 
deep appreciation for what you do have, not what you don't have. Now, the second value that's really important, and this is a big one, called responsibility. Responsibility. See, at birth of your child, the dependency factor for a human being is 100%. In other words, that kid is 100% dependent on the parent. And the responsibility factor of that child is zero. That's at birth, okay? So as a parent, our goal every year was to try to help the dependency factor go down and the responsibility factor go up. Clean your room. Pick up what you put in the floor. Brush your teeth. Go take an own shower. Wouldn't you want your kid to do that? Do you want to tell them when they're 44, go brush your teeth, make your bed, clean up your room, pick up your dirty underwear off the floor, cut the grass? No, some people have to be told what to do all their life. God expects you to get less dependent on others and more responsible. Now you become a valuable human being. I was looking at somebody yesterday, and I remember just privately thinking, how did you get in this place? How did you get? You didn't get. Okay, Cindy won't like if I use that illustration. Let me back off of that. But I'll tell you privately. And I look at people flying on an airplane, and, and I look, and I thought, you didn't get there last week. You've been working at this years. And every doctor in this city is happy to see you. They will make a nice charge. Or they stand up on it, we'll work for food. And, and you're a veteran. How did you get here? With everything at your disposable to help you through the military or through the government, how did you end up on a street corner with a cardboard sign you can't read? I mean, at least get some black ink and make it bold. Anybody but me ever look at, like, they got a sign, you couldn't read that with an atomic microscope. I don't know. I got bigger ambition than that. I don't want my kids to end up like that. I want them to be responsible for their life. I don't want to have to be responsible for you to give me a dollar out of your car window. I don't want to be responsible to have the government uh, to take care of me. I don't want everybody to have to get uh, something to wheel me around. I don't want to live that way. I want to take responsibility for my life. Now, if you're there, at least let's wish for our children and make some plans so they don't have to end up like that. Make them be responsible. Years ago, when our girls were young, I told you this a couple of years ago, we rented the Disney movie Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Now, of course, Snow White is an absolute classic movie. And yet, in terms of personal responsibility for old Snow White, I realized how much it modeled something way different than I wanted for my daughters. I mean, here's a woman hiding from her image-obsessed stepmother because she feels powerless and helpless and afraid. And then she takes a job doing menial labor for seven short, challenge, cranky guys because she's afraid she could never find fulfilling work. And the whole time, she's just passively waiting to get rescued by somebody while singing, someday my prince will come. Gag me. <laughs> Waiting for somebody to rescue me. Get a life. I wanted my girls to know, don't ever do that. 
If you are ever in this situation, you confront that old bag face to face. You tell mama you're going to come to grips with the aging process and tell her you have no intention of being the fall guy because of her neurotic insecurity about her fading sexual attractiveness. You tell mama, stop talking to the dumb mirror and get a good therapist. And tell the seven short cranky guys, get a life. And if they can't handle basic challenges of personal hygiene, housekeeping, tell them they'll have to find some other codependent to enable their domestic passivity. And stop waiting for a prince to come by and rescue you. Build deep relationships now. Find meaningful work. Serve the poor. And when it's time to choose a prince, just know mommy and daddy will decide who the prince might be. (laughs) Can I get a good amen out there? You see, when responsibility does not get developed in a human being, that person gets crippled. Responsibility is the capacity to own my life, to own my problems. It's nobody else's problem. It's mine. It's not my job, my wife's job, to make me happy and fulfilled. There's no human on earth that can do that. That's God's job in my response to God, period. Well, I need them to complete me. No, I don't want an incompleted mate. I want a mate, a spouse that's complete. I don't want half and half. I want two holes to come together, right? Are y'all thinking with me? Paul writes about it in Galatians 6, 5. He says, each of you should carry your own burden. That means you've got to own your own life. Daddy and mommy are not responsible for the choices you're making after you leave home. You are. They can't solve every problem for you. The government can't solve every problem for you. You have to take some responsibility. We blame the government, blame our teachers, we blame our relatives, blame a coach. We blame, 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 blame. I can get up and walk. I don't have to put up with something that's outside of my comfort zone or my values in life. I can, I can walk. I can, I can reject it. I can resist it. I, I'm a free moral agent. I can make choices. So parents, you can't wait till a kid's 18 to start teaching this lesson. You know, here's an example that will sometimes occur. A child will say to a parent, usually to a mom, I'm bored. You ever hear that one? I'm bored. And very often the parent's tempted to take, maybe take that on as their problem. So the mom will start generating ideas. Well, Tommy, why don't you go outside and play? No, that's too boring. Well, why don't you call some friends? Have them come over. Nah, nobody's home. Then the mom will just take it as her job to keep pitching ideas. Well, why don't you draw a picture? Write a letter to the editor. Do a science experiment. Memorize a chapter of the Bible. Read War and Peace. Now, boring, boring. What else you got? How about $1,000 first-class airfare to Disney World? Well, that'll do. (laughs) You just keep pitching ideas. Your kid just keeps hitting them out at least until they get what they want. So what's the child learning in that process? That my boredom is your problem. It's your job, parent, to keep me entertained. 
And if that's what they learn, they're going to go through their whole life waiting for somebody else to come along and make their life interesting, fulfilling, and easier, and more comfortable, and more workable. And that is not God's best for your children or for you. Amen. On the boredom deal, the correct response, if a kid comes to you with that one, is to say, Tommy, you know I recognize the symptoms of boredom, and boredom is a real problem, and I know that's really true for you. But I'm confident that besides TV, you'll be able to come up with a really good solution. And then you walk away. You walk away because they need to learn this is their life, and they need to take responsibility for it and that you're not gonna solve every single problem or wish or demand they have. The next value I hope my kids are able to grab onto is imperfection, imperfection. Now, I don't want my kids to be imperfect, but the Bible says they go astray from the mother's womb. Not one of you ever had to put on a CD or a training seminar to teach your kids how to disobey or do something wrong. It just came, it came in the hard drive. Did it not? Yeah, we go astray from him. We're born sinners, see? And I don't, I don't want my child uh, to see that as a value. I want them to see it as a reality, see? I want them to understand that they are, in fact, much as I love them, imperfect. We are all imperfect. And so writing to the church at Rome, Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, don't think of yourself more highly than you should, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. And yet in one area of life or another, most of us do just what Paul says, don't do that. In fact, psychologists in our day talk about what they call the self-serving bias, Years ago, when one of our kids did something they weren't supposed to do, but they were denying it in the car, the the problem was I didn't have incontrovertible proof. There was no smoking gun. And yet, the circumstantial evidence was overwhelming. But she was pretty savvy. In fact, at one point, she looked up at me with those deep, hurt, misty eyes, and in a quivering voice said, Daddy, do you think I'd lie to you? (laughs) I said, of course I think you could lie to me, honey. Everybody I've ever known has lied at one time or another. That's not a good thing, but we all have the capacity for it. In fact, the most famous story about lying in American history was the story of George Washington cutting down a cherry tree, and his father said, who cut down this tree? And George said, I cannot tell a lie. It was me. That was in the biography of George Washington written by a guy named Parson Weems in the 19th century. But do you know that he made that story up? I mean, the most famous story about not lying in American history was a total lie. (laughs) So I said to her, honey, anybody who says they never lie is lying. Mostly, I think you'd tell the truth. Mostly I do, but absolutely, I think you would lie. Suddenly, I got real quiet in the back seat. So there are two separate issues here. One is, do I think you're a person worthy of being valued, celebrated, loved, cherished, and encouraged? Absolutely. 
The other question is, do I think you are a sinner capable of really messing up? And the answer is, absolutely. And that's true for all of us. And one reason why that is so important is that if I underemphasize my child's propensity to sin, if I pretend like there's no real capacity in you for evil, then it creates a conflict inside the child because they know it's inside. And eventually they may wonder, well, if daddy and mom knew the real truth about me, they wouldn't love me. And by the way, let me pause and say, some of you think that about God. He knows the real truth about you. And he does love you. He died for you while you were yet a sinner. You didn't shake him up at all. And my kids aren't going to shake me up. But from that, they're going to learn how to hide. I don't want anybody to know I failed, I messed up, or this is wrong about me, or I have this addiction, or I've got this past or background or something, because then mom and dad wouldn't love me, or God wouldn't love me. Total false. But that's what we produce in a child. Then they grow up and be 40 or 50-year-olds who hide and think, I can't approach God because I've got a past or I've got some behavioral problem going on in my life, and God won't love me. So one of the best ways to help your child better understand his or her imperfection is to recognize your own. And one of the ways you can do it is to express this to your child by apologizing and asking their forgiveness when you do something wrong. I was supposed to do something for one of the girls, and I remember I was, wasn't able to get to it. It wasn't like I forgot. I didn't. There just weren't enough hours in the day. And when they complained to me about it, my immediate response was thinking, well, I need to go on the offensive here and remind them of all the running around I've been doing for them. But in the midst of that, I just stopped and I says, you know, you're right. I said I'd get it done. I didn't. I'm sorry. My bad. So maybe the single greatest way a child learns to say they're not perfect is when they have a parent who can appropriately confess and repent when they're not perfect. Perhaps some need to do that today. Maybe there are some, some of you sitting here or watching online and there's something wrong between you and one of your children. Well, as best you can, if you can, you need to go and make it right. Make the decision now. You're just gonna go and do it sometime today. Last value I wanna share this morning and I hope that one gets deeply ingrained in my children if none of them work, this one for sure. And that is number four, they are deeply loved. They are loved deeply, unconditionally, and it's not based on their behavior. Can they irritate me? Yes. Can they disappoint me? Yes. Can they make me angry? All kids can, of course. And so can your spouse, for that matter. But it's got nothing to do with my love for you, my support for you. The Apostle Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 13. Now, these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest, even of these, the one that will last forever, the greatest is love. Every human being needs to know that your existence on this earth is the source of delight, of value, not only to God, but to the people who brought you into the world. So I wanted my girls to know, regardless of whether they got an A or a D, regardless if they failed in some area or weren't perfect. It had nothing to do with mom and dad's unconditional love for you. 
I want the best for you every day of your life. If we struck out today, let's believe for a better tomorrow. Let's ask God's forgiveness. Let's move forward. And there's kind of two ways to do it. The first is with our words. You know, the tongue has the power of life and death. And the truth is, it's fairly easy to say some pretty bad things to your kids, especially if you're tired and you're frustrated. Sure it is. A parent in a grocery store may get frustrated with a fussy toddler. Not a defiant human being, just a human fussy toddler. And the parent starts saying, what's the matter with you? Why can't, why can't you behave? I can't take you anywhere. Why do you act so stupid? Well, you think about what that in long term does to a child's self-image or their heart. Needless to say, we all know just how important it is to express affection and appreciation to our kids on a regular basis. Find out what the love language of that child is. They're all different. They're all different. And then tell them that you love them. If it's awkward and you're not real good at it, tell them anyway. If you didn't get it when you were growing up and that's a source of pain to you, tell them anyway. If sometimes they don't tell you back, tell them anyway. This is not about getting your children to make you feel loved. Hey, you are the parent. I'm raising them. They're not raising me. So it's, not, it's I don't want to live my life through my child. Well, my life was so disappointing. I'm going to try to live through my child what I never could be or had. No, no, no. Our job is to put character and values in those children. It's God's job to call them to whatever he has purpose for their life. Right? Okay, I, I happen to be a minister. Do I want my kids to be in ministry? Not on your life, not unless God calls them. Not, now, my job is to put love for Jesus, uh, character, values in them that we just talked about. But it's God's job to call your kid. Well, I'm a doctor. I want my child to be a doctor. Well, I'm this. I want. No, no, no. That may not be God's purpose for the child at all. You'll ruin them. You don't do that. That's God's purpose. So it's never our children's job to satisfy the parents' neediness or emptiness. See, you're going to have to get that addressed somewhere else. Because one way or another, it's your job, it's my job to build up their hearts. I'm supposed to push them up as the next generation, now equip them and launch them so they can go higher and do more than I ever achieved. Now, the second way you can help your kids grasp how much they loved is by spending some time with them. Nothing new, just a reminder. We all know what an invaluable commodity time has become today in this culture. That's why we talk about spending time because it carries the same kind of value as money. It's that valuable, time. People interviewed in corporations said they valued more time off than money because there's so little of it. And as our kids start getting a little bit older, they begin to see that how much valuable we consider our jobs or our careers or our work or our time and when we put aside our career or time to be with them, a sort of algebra kicks in and they think, well, career is important to mom and dad. Mom and dad stopped their career to be with me. Therefore, my mom and dad think I am more important than their career. Wow. Now, I've heard a number of parents say when it comes to time, quality isn't important. It's quality. Quantity isn't important. It's quality. 
Well, that is a myth, and I'll prove it. You can't say to your teenager, I got 20 minutes, let's get into an intense, depth conversation before I have to go back to work. That ain't going to work. So to get some quality time with your teens, for example, you have to have chunks of quantity time because they usually won't open up until you include them in a larger block of your time. In other words, you have to invest or plant some seemingly unimportant moments in order to harvest a few special moments. For example, if I sit you down, and let's say, Mom, you're talking to your daughter, and you want to give her your undivided attention, here's what she might say. Well, Mom, then we went to the mall, but nothing much was happening there except a sale at Old Navy. And I found the cutest top, but they didn't have my size. And Mom might say, really? Did you find anything else? Well, then we got a strawberry smoothie. Man, was it great, and it's a new shop, and you should get one the next time you're out there, Mom. Mom should say, well, okay, let's go next week. After that, a few of us went to Melissa's house. Do you remember her sister? She started college this year. I forget what she's majoring in. Anyway, her boyfriend started smoking and asked us if we wanted to try it. I didn't, but Jennifer did, and she gave me a hard time for saying no. Now, do you see what I mean when it comes to conversing with a teenager? There's a sense in which you have to open a whole lot of oysters just to discover a few pearls, and it ain't quick. And putting up with those oysters, giving our kids undivided attention, even while they tell us about relatively unimportant stuff about their lives, at least communicates our love probably better than anything else. Truth is, they sort of expect all parents to come be their rescuer when they're in a crisis. But when we remain present through the ordinary, everyday moments, they start to begin to catch on that we really care and we really love them. But don't just forget that you'll never find that kind of time. You have to make it. And if you don't make it, I'll guarantee you, if you're not making some memories and sharing some moments with your kids, other people will. Because unless we make it a priority, know that in time, it's going to be taken away by other people and other activities. It'll get filled. It just won't get filled with you. So there's just some of the things that I'd like to see engraved on my kids' hearts, some values I want them to have, and I'd like all of our children to have it, and us as parents as well. So number one, gratitude. Number two, responsibility. Number three, imperfection. We're flawed. And number four, you are deeply, unconditionally loved. So our deepest desire with all of our kids is to help them see themselves in light of their relationship with God. Truth is, God made them the unique people they are. He loved them enough, found them precious enough to send his son to die and rise again for them. And though uh, through it all, perhaps we say that our deepest desire is to help our kids see themselves as God sees them. They are precious to him, to help them know that all they are and all they were created to be can only be discovered through the love and calling of Jesus. And that's true for us as well. Hey, thanks again for joining us today. If you enjoyed the podcast, subscribe and share it with a friend. Follow me by visiting the links in the description. I'm praying today that God richly blesses you this entire week.